The title for today, and you have notes in your bulletin, at least uh, simple notes, and you have a place to make your own notes, is not our home. I want to say this before we get started, that I, I'll, I'll say this as we go through, but don't be misled into thinking that Jesus' words or, or Peter's words or my words as I try to present their words today means that Christians can't, shouldn't, and there should never be any Christian that has any sort of money, any sort of, sort of wealth. That is, that is not biblical. The point is how we use our wealth and what our motivation is behind what we do with the wealth God has blessed us with and what kind of a steward we are. So I wanted to say that up front in case somebody gets the wrong idea before we even get started. Did you know that God created us with the knowledge that we are made to live forever? There is, there is something completely unnatural about death. And I know that Christians can face death in a totally different way than unbelievers. We, everybody in here has seen somebody, maybe not that was close to you, because it took me until a few years ago, about 10 years ago, and I'm 45, to have somebody that was actually close to me die. I lived that long, a blessed kind of life, without experiencing death that was personal to me. Not a friend, not a family member. So most of us have lived a different kind of story than that, where you've had several people close to you die. There's a difference, and we've seen it, when an unbeliever dies and a believer dies. As Christians, we know where we're going. We know, we know who holds the future, and there's a piece about us stepping out of this world and stepping into the next. We can die with peace, but at the same time, there is still something very unnatural about death because God didn't create us to die. He created us to live, and we humans mess that up. And death is one of the penalties of sinfulness. It doesn't matter if a person has access to Scripture or not, we know that we were made to live forever. King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, the last part of the verse, that God has planted eternity in the human heart. He's put it here, and we know that this place, this broken place, this place that we struggle through, this is not the end. There is something more. That this isn't the end. That we're, we're going to experience something else. And eternity isn't just some far-fetched dream. We're born knowing that God exists. He's put it within us. That life on earth is temporary. And that we will spend eternity somewhere. We will spend eternity with Him or without Him. And that's the simple way that I like to describe Heaven and hell, the most basic way. Heaven is being with God for eternity. Hell, what is it? It's being without God for eternity. And you don't want that. With that knowledge, though, comes worship. With the knowledge that we were made to live forever and that there is an eternity comes worship. An inborn desire that God has given us to give thanks to the one who's responsible for our existence. Worship is universal. Did you know that wherever people are found, worship is found? It doesn't mean that true worship of the one true God is found. Everybody in every place of the world doesn't have access to Scripture, doesn't have the truth about Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is the one way to be saved. And hence, the, the 
urgency for continuing to send missionaries into those places, those places still exist. But the truth is that every culture has a form of worship because every culture recognizes that there is someone greater than me, that I am not an end in myself, that somebody made me, somebody put me here, and, and, and I give an answer. I owe an answer to that one, that creator. That's why, you know, you can think back about the, the American Indians and their forms of worship. You can think about in South America and some of those places where, where missionaries have gone and been killed as they, as they try to teach them about Jesus Christ, the Jim Elliott story. But in every one of those places, there, there is worship. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Everybody is aware that there is a God, there is a creator, just by, just by going outside and looking around and looking up and looking at these hands and knowing that this wasn't an accident. Somebody created me. As Christians, we're not just aware that we're made for eternity and that there is a creator. We know who that creator is. We have an eternal relationship with him. This is a side note, but because of that, we should have an urgency to, to tell whoever God brings our way in whatever way that we can do it. And usually it's best done in a relational kind of way. People that you have a relationship with. Who you are, whose you are, why you live the way you do, why you live differently. It's all because of Jesus Christ, the Savior, that you are a unique, a peculiar individual. And because of, the, because of those things, there's two things that should be true about us. This first one will come from the first Peter verse. But that point is, we shouldn't live like this place is our forever home. We shouldn't live like this is our forever home. Peter wrote in chapter 2, verse 11 of 1 Peter, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, some translations call it aliens, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. You've heard this verse before. There's been songs written about it, Christian songs, aliens. You're, you're, you're just you're just passing through. This isn't where you belong. You are a foreigner here. The writer C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most possible explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for somewhere else. And this isn't it. God has put eternity within us. We've, we've seen that. But we often live like us, believers. We often live like this place is our eternal home. And Jesus told a story, and it's a good reminder for us. He told a story about a man who only cared about this life. You don't have to turn here, just, just listen. But in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, and then he, Jesus, told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, 
What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tailor down my barns, because they're small, and I'll build bigger barns. <laughs> then I'll have room enough to store my oil and my wheat and my other goods. And I hope you're thinking about your stuff as he uses those words, oil and wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Did he say to store up wealth and stop? I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher at all by any means. But it's just like when people misquote the verse, money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. What is? The love of money is the root of all evil. There's a tremendous difference there. I am thankful for believers throughout history who have been wealthy enough to fund Christian endeavors. Whatever it is that God has that he wants to do in a place, in a country, in a, in a different country, that there are people with the means to help fund those things and to use the money that God has given them to build his kingdom, to bless him, to bless others, to give unbelievers the chance to come know him. Thankful for that. I'm thankful that there are people in this place and people that aren't even connected to this place yet they are still willing to let God use what he has blessed them with to do his kingdom work. There's nothing wrong with planning for the future. Absolutely nothing wrong. You should be planning for the future. But this man's future plans did not include God. Who were his plans about? Himself. He wasn't thinking about anything other than me and my, and I'll sit back and I'll eat and drink and and, and I'll get to take it easy, and I won't have to work hard. And, and he was thinking totally about self. He didn't consider eternity, and he lived and died without God. No matter what we accomplish or accumulate here on earth, you know what it all is? Temporary. The only things that will last are the things that are done for God's kingdom. Things that are done for God's kingdom. Do you have people that you can influence? Do you have children in your home? Those are eternal things. Those are lives that are going to live on for eternity in one of two places. Do you have a church that you can support? Those are things that church's outreach. Those are things that will live on for eternity. We'll leave behind everything, including our homes that Will mentioned earlier, wherever it is that you live. We'll, we'll leave those things behind. We'll leave behind our, our money, our trophies, whatever you consider a trophy. You're going to leave it behind. And unless Jesus comes back during our lifetimes, we're going to die physically. You know, we can't forget that we're going to die physically, but we often ignore it. I'm going to have a lot of personal references within this. Yesterday, and this is, this is, just, this is just a pet, but yesterday was one year ago that my family lost one of our two family yellow labs. Came home from a, just being gone one night. Dog had never been sick. He wasn't, he wasn't quite nine years old, but he was big. Our other one's a normal size lab. This one was a big lab. 
came home, I, I went and let them out of their pen, and I was in the process of feeding them for that day, and only one dog was out running around and ready to play fetch and all this. And I said, just immediately, I said, oh, no. That had never happened. There were always two nipping at my heels. So already through tears, already through tears, I went to where they stayed and, and I found him. And I brought my two girls. They were three and six at the time because I wanted them to see. I had been telling our two girls, y'all know our, our dogs, Max and Cooper, they're getting older and they're not going to live forever. So you can use even something like that that's, that's sad, that's heartbreaking <clears throat> as a teaching moment to remind them, to show them that these bodies, they break down, they get old, they stop working, and ultimately they die. But how often do we ignore that? We can't forget it, but we often ignore it, that our time is limited. There's a day when all of us are going to step out of this place. Do you know someone who lives like this world is all there is? What a shame. But do you live like that? No hands raised, but just, just thinking, do you live like that? Even though you know better? Do you ever focus so much on your comforts, your desires, your dreams, that it leaves you with very few resources to give to God and His kingdom? Parents, here's a harder question. Who in here, let's, let's see hands, who in here, either uh, children or grandchildren, you have influence over a child right now? It's okay to look around. You're not the only one. We would, we would love to be a part of you with that influence over your children. And the children's and student ministries here are going to grow, and, and there eventually student ministry is going to start, and, and we want to partner with you and help with that. So parents, grandparents, do you steer your children toward anything more than towards God? This isn't supposed to be a big old punch in the face. It might just be a gentle little thump on the shoulder. But do you steer those children toward anything more than towards God? Do you ever push them to focus so much on grades or hobbies or getting that scholarship so that you won't have to pay for their schooling? See, that, that comes back to a selfish thing sometimes. But did you, do you ever push them so much to part-time jobs or, or any of those things, relationships, having of this, having of that, being involved in this at school? Being, do you ever push them so much toward those things that they have no time or energy or even desire to spend on God's kingdom? If there is, if there is a... I'll go ahead and say this now in my eighth day of being a staff person here. <clears throat> if there is a children's or student ministry schedule, plan here at Pebble Creek, you should, you should do your best to wrap your family schedule around those things. I don't apologize for saying that. I have 15, 16, 17 years experience in dedicated student ministry that, where that was, that was the primary part of my job. And it's sad, but because of this, I, I have these years of seeing some kids who used to be in the sixth grade that are now raising children of their own. So I had the experience to go back and look at parents that did not do those things because they wanted their kids to be a this or a that or, the, you know, whatever the list was in their family. And now all these years later, they say, I don't understand why my children won't come to church with me. And the smart aleck in me wants to say, I, I know, 
I know the answer. It was because all these years we had this and we did this and we went on mission trips, but this camp was more important. And we had this retreat, a beach retreat, where it was all about worship and spending this one week with focused time with other teenagers where they could see they weren't the only one. And it was never important in your family. So now I can see why churches, you, your, your spot on your pew right there is empty because they, won't, they don't have any interest in it. I, I, I don't tell them that. I haven't had the opportunities to say that except maybe once or twice in a relational kind of way. But it's easy after these years to see the answers. So parents, take, take the little thump right now. Grandparents, take that little thump. My wife is sitting back there helping with sound and computer this morning directly because her grandparents took the initiative to go get and bring their two granddaughters to church every week. Sunday night? Yeah, Sunday night. Wednesday night? Yeah, Wednesday night. Grandparents did it. She is eternally grateful for what those grandparents did. Grandparents, do the best job that you can. Step on toes to ensure that you can have your grandchildren a part, if not this church, of a church that is creating a Christian environment for those kids to grow up in. There's a former NFL football player who is probably just as famous or more famous now for being a pastor, a seminary president, a teacher. His name is Vody Bochum, and he said this, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but I fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. And that's a former NFL football star saying those words. Let me say it one more time. If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but I fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. So are you raising your children to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind? Or are you raising them to treat God like, eh? Are you raising them to be pagans? We can answer these questions however we want, but God knows the truth and he holds us, those who are the influencers, responsible for how we raise our children, grandchildren, those people we have influence over. In Philippians 3.20, Paul writes, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, number two, we shouldn't expect this life to satisfy. This world's not our home, so we shouldn't expect the things here in this life to satisfy us. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, don't store up treasures here on, earth, here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Have you spent enough time seeking satisfaction from, from earthly things, relationships, jobs, hobbies, entertainment, to realize that they can't satisfy you? It doesn't mean that any of those things are wrong, but if that's where we're looking for our satisfaction, our identity, something else to complete me, like an old movie line said, then we're looking in the absolute wrong place. Earthly treasures only leave us disappointed, broken, hurting. Sports, and particularly Georgia Bulldogs football, I have keychains with it on there. I have it on my truck. I'm just a fan. I didn't go there. We, we moved away from Georgia before I was old enough to decide I was going to college there. 
But for seven, eight years, I was already influenced by that and that team and the teams in Georgia except for the terrible Falcons. And, and, and that's where my sports loyalties generally lie. But Georgia football is something that I'm tempted to seek my satisfaction from instead of looking, looking to God. No Georgia football season in all my years as a fan. And unfortunately, I became a fan in February of 1981 because that's when we moved there. I was seven. They had just won the national championship. So it's just like you Clemson fans right now. You're just basking in the glow of, of a national championship season. So that's what all our church members were. And, the, and it just rubbed off on me. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to like the best as a seven-year-old. So that's what I did. The next two seasons, they had chances at the national championship game, particularly in 1982. On January 1st, 1983, I watched my team lose against Penn State in the national championship game. I should have learned right then as a nine-year-old, just leave this alone, because the way you feel right now is the way you're going to be feeling for the next 39, 40 years. Because there's not been a season of my life as a Georgia fan that has left me satisfied. Not a season. I envy my wife's feelings right now of two out of three years, ending that season and just like, ah, ha, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Not that I would do that, but man, her family likes to do it to whoever is there. I've been ribbed and rubbed a lot in the last two or three years. Jesus said that earthly treasures do not last. Even these national championships, does this mean that Clemson fans, you just don't even care how this upcoming season goes? We just won, so I can go watch the game, sit back, eat popcorn, and and if, the, if they come out on, it doesn't matter. Is, is that the way you're going to watch the games this year? Are you kidding? You're going to sit there and say, all right, we got two out of three, three out of four. We got to have three out of four. We got to have three. That, that's the way you're going to view the season. And as a fan, you know, that's the way you do things. As long as you know that that can't really satisfy you, there's always another season. There's always another game. There's always another championship to come. And, and I want that one, too. I can't fill myself up. Jesus said that earthly treasures don't last, so they shouldn't be our focus. We can use them and enjoy them, but we shouldn't try to let them take Jesus' place in our heart. They, could, they shouldn't become our source of satisfaction or worship. Only Jesus can fill that place. Earthly treasure, though, you know, it's not supposed to satisfy us, so don't expect it to. I love it when I hear people who have lost everything, some storm, some disaster. I love it when the, when the newsman goes out there and you know they're just, man, can we show this? You know when it happens that there's some producer sitting there saying, I don't know what we should do about that, but given the moment, let's play it. So there's, there's something every year. Hurricane season's coming up and we'll hear another story. Somebody that's lost everything gets on camera and says, don't have anything except the clothes on my back, but I have my son who's standing here and my wife's over there doing this. That stuff's just stuff and it can be replaced. I thank the Lord. I thank my Father for protecting us and we still have our lives. I love it when I hear those stories. I love it when those stories get on air and they're shown for a day or two before whoever it is nixes them and doesn't let them get played anymore. But that's why there's YouTube. Our bodies can't satisfy us. You found out neither can anybody else's body. I haven't seen any married couple that's been married 40 or 50 years and they still look the same way they did when they were standing up here like this or wherever it was that they stood. 
Our bodies can't satisfy us. They're getting older every single day. How many cars have you owned and cared for that have long since been in the scrapyard? I washed mine yesterday. And as you get closer and you wash something by hand, yes, Kate, help me. You see, man, where did that nick come from? This piece of rubber is falling apart. When you get down and start washing something, you say, this doesn't look, from a distance it looks pretty good, but you get up close and eh, it's not looking so good anymore. Isn't that how our bodies do as well? The first home I remember living in was in Greer, and now where that home was, it's gone, and there's another home sitting on that piece of land. And one day there'll be another home sitting on that same piece of land. Also, human relationships don't last. All of us have former best friends we haven't spoken to in years, right? Maybe it's because it's third grade and you moved, but all of us have former best friends that we don't have relationships with anymore. So what's your treasure? To answer that, just think about what you value the most. Is it eternal? If it's not, then you're treasuring the wrong things. Only God's kingdom and those who are part of it will last. I'll finish, wrap this up with uh, some of your favorite. Some of you have this as one of your favorite things. Every few years, every couple of years, I don't know the exact schedule anymore because I've gotten off the schedule on purpose. But Apple will come out with a, with a new phone. Not just the new phone with a little this or whatever behind it, but an actual new phone every couple of years. And I blame all this on my wife because it didn't used to matter. I'd get whatever phone they had. You know, who cares? This one's on sale. They're giving these away. That's fine. We'll take that one. Well, I've been married about 12 years, and I've had iPhones now for about, I don't know, eight. My phone can be perfectly fine. This one's three years old. It's the little one. I wanted the little one on, on purpose. On purpose, because it fits in my pocket, and it doesn't look like I'm carrying around, you know, a cutting board in my pocket. I can bend over and tie my shoe, and it doesn't hit my hip, and, you know. But just the other night, for the first time in over a year, found my family in the Apple store, and looking at what the new ones do, and I said, I don't want that piece of junk. It doesn't even have a button anymore. <laughs> That's how far behind I am. I have a real button down here I can push. I'm like, I don't want this. I'll never figure it out. Kelly's like, all you got to do is push this line and slide it up. I'm like, just, just leave me alone. I'm trying to tell myself I don't need these new $1,600 things. Just leave me alone. But after leaving the store, whatever year it is, suddenly this phone that used to do everything, totally satisfied with it, suddenly it is an outdated piece of junk that needs to be replaced. Suddenly. That's how we feel. And then when you do replace it, within a few weeks, maybe a month, you know what? It's just a phone again. It's just a phone that you throw around when you get finished and, you know, forget here and there. It's just, just a phone. So when your 46-inch TV is too small, so when your 5-year-old car is too old, when your 1,800-square-foot house is too cramped with all of your clothing, toys, appliances, furniture, yard tools, and on and on and on. Allow those feelings of discontent to remind you. No matter what else I buy, I'm still going to be unsatisfied. Because this world is not my home. 
And God did not, did not make me to be satisfied by this broken, sinful, dying world, but by His perfect, sinless, eternal one. He made me for heaven, and I won't be satisfied until I get there. None of this stuff that I've accumulated satisfies because even right now, I still want something else. Do you see that? It can't satisfy us, and having one more won't satisfy us because this place can't satisfy us. It's sad to see someone cling to this physical life without any peace about eternity, and I mentioned this earlier, or clinging to earthly treasure like it's all they have. But the truth is, people that don't have Jesus as Savior, that is all they have. It's all they have. They need to know Jesus as Savior. What can you do about that? Without Jesus, this life is it. These 70 to 100 years, this tiny little blip on the radar of eternity. So it's completely understandable when these lost people, those who do not know Jesus, hold on to this life and the treasures of it so desperately. Because life without Jesus is desperate and hopeless and it just leaves us longing for a little bit more. One day we're going to leave this place just as empty-handed as the day we were born. We'll have to answer to God, the Creator, and the ultimate Judge for what we did with this life He gave us. And there's only one right answer. I gave my life back to you, Father, when I surrendered to Jesus as my Savior. Will, would you come? And would you bow your heads and consider this an invitation time? And if you need to make a decision, make it now between you and God. But we'd love for you to let us know that. Whether you come down here at the front and tell me that or you indicate that on a card, we'd love to, we'd love to help you through whatever decision that you need to make. Father, we thank you for speaking to us today. We thank you for what you have shown us from these two specific verses in your word. May we treasure the things that you treasure and use the things that you have given us to grow your kingdom instead of growing our own. We thank you that you give us so much, so many things to enjoy, but help us to be excellent stewards of those things. And help us to spend our time here doing all that we can to influence our friends, neighbors, people that we meet day in and day out to trust you and to know you as Savior and Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.